And we're continuing our overview of the uh, Cities Against COVID-19 Global Summit. Uh, We're now going to talk about the importance of a uh, global coalition in response to infectious disease outbreaks uh, just like COVID-19. So uh, we are pleased to be joined by the Director of Behavioral Science at the Santa Fe Institute, also the author of numerous bestsellers, including The Moral Economy, Why Good Laws Are No Substitute for Good Citizens. Professor Samuel Bowles on the line. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor. Uh, You presented uh, this week uh, the pandemic, the climate crisis, and the moral economy at uh, the uh, summit. Um, First of all, how, how was the experience for you? Oh, it was a fantastic experience. I was very inspired by the example of uh, Seoul as a city and South Korea as a country, what it has done to uh, provide uh, real leadership in the world about how to address the, uh, the pandemic, and in Seoul's example, how cities can deal with climate change. Now, the uh, concept of the moral economy, just uh, getting back to uh, uh, your book here, uh, that, that can connotate different things to different people who don't um, really know the concept as you're explaining it. Um, uh, what is moral economy? Well, I chose the title of the book uh, because I wanted to address a problem that we have. Uh, often in both philosophy, public policy, and law, uh, it's uh, the case that we assume that people are entirely selfish and amoral and then try to design laws or policies which will work for them and provide us a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Well, this is fundamentally mistaken because, and there are two reasons. One is the policies which you design, which are assuming that people are selfish and amoral, often create selfish and amoral people. That is, they respond selfishly because they're being treated selfishly. Mm. That's the first problem. And the second is, faced with a problem like COVID-19 or climate change, there's no way in the world that we can solve those problems just by policies directed to self-interest or to fear. We have to find a way to mobilize people's sentiments, that is, their, their desires to be good citizens, their desires to be liked and respected by each other, and their commitment to some sense of altruism or justice. Now, uh, this idea of uh, kind of appealing to our better natures, uh, one of the interesting aspects of your presentation, uh, you did say that our regard for the well-being of others, uh, which could be altruism, reciprocity, also, though, includes hostility to outsiders uh, for which the pandemic may prove fertile ground and lead to tribalism. Uh, We've seen uh, people say this is the Wuhan virus or uh, other conspiracy theories abounding about this was some kind of a Pentagon uh, plot. Uh, And uh, certainly uh, there are going to be uh, signs or indications or an instinct to to blame the outside or or the other uh, for your particular problems. But could you elaborate on on what you're talking about with this um, uh, potential for tribalism? Well, yes, I'm I'm very happy to do that. Much of the work that I have done in this area has been with two of my Korean uh, colleagues, Professor Huang Sungha and Professor Choi uh, uh, Jung-gyu. Uh, uh, the, the work that the research that we have done uh, is is directed at how did human beings become such a generous and moral animal. Uh, And one of the answers to that is, well, we became that way because in the distant past, 
groups of human beings who knew how to cooperate were more successful than ones populated by selfish people. But the problem there is this. What the, what the cooperative groups did really well is they won in military competition against the other groups. So there's this package of cooperation with each other and hostility towards outsiders. I think that, um, that that's what we're like. Now, it doesn't mean, I mean, that may be our legacy. That's where, what we came from, but that's not our destiny. Mm. Uh, we have shown again and again that we can overcome the narrow-minded insider-outsider aspect of humans. But just to be realistic, both are easily appealed to, as we've seen in the course of the pandemic crisis, uh, the fantastic generosity, solidarity, trust uh, uh, of people. And at the same time, uh, we have, uh, I'm very sorry to say, the president of my own country uh, cultivating these fears of outsiders, the fears of Asian people, the fears of China. And we see in the United States and elsewhere, physical attacks on people of Asian descent are increasing. Uh, so, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, I hope that what will come out of this crisis is a new commitment to cooperation on a global scale. But tribalism is also one of the possible outcomes. And uh, from what you're saying, though, this this definitely predates COVID-19 when we're talking about, let's say, Brexit or build that wall or the, the caravan of uh, invading hordes in, in the U.S. And even uh, very tragically, what we're seeing today with these uh, heartfelt protests uh, against uh, the, the brutal murder of George Floyd and the uh, concept of how police brutality has uh, disproportionately affected the African-American community uh, and the ensuing backlash from, let's say, another contingent that says, no, all lives matter and all of that. Uh, These are all kind of other aspects of tribalism that uh, you say it's not destiny, but it just seems like such an ingrained fabric of our society right now in a very discouraging way. Well, that that certainly is true. Um, I think race, particularly the, a form of tribalism uh, about race, is a particularly dominant characteristic of American politics uh, and has been for a very long time. Uh, and of course, there are people who cultivate that because they benefit from it. Uh, but there's also wonderful examples of overcoming that. I mean, let's not forget that the, the, uh, the American people. Uh, elected uh, an African-American president, uh, um, uh, President Obama, many people thought that it was absolutely impossible. So America is capable of doing both. We're capable of the terrible brutality uh, and hostility towards uh, people of color, and we're also capable of doing the marvelous things that you've seen, even police officers honoring uh, the demonstrators, in many cases, former chiefs of police joining the demonstrators uh, because of their outrage at the behavior of the police. So, look, uh, human beings are a very unusual animal. Uh, We're a cultural animal. Of course, we have biological orientations, and I think we are biologically oriented towards both generosity and towards narrow-mindedness towards outsiders. But unlike all other animals, we can learn, and we can learn extremely rapidly to overcome those racial differences and racial hostilities and nationalism and so on. There there are many examples Mm -hmm. of that. Nationalism itself overcame all kind of local hostilities between one part of the country and the other. And uh, so it's paradoxical that nationalism is a wonderful example of how you can put people together who just 
10 years ago or 100 years ago used to think of each other as barely human and would go to war against each other. Yeah, very interesting because uh, you often hear uh, nationalism usually kind of as a pejorative, right, of, of uh, a way a country is moving. But uh, in your example, how you show that, well, that could actually bring together disparate groups within uh, that uh, nation to, to get together. Let's talk post-COVID-19 then, Professor, um, uh, how the economies build. Another aspect of the tribalism has been this dispute, let's say, in the United States of we got to open up in the red states, whereas uh, maybe the blue states feel a little bit more cautious and are prioritizing health outcomes. Uh, what would be the considerations for various governments to try to recover And how does this uh, tie into perhaps um, uh, building forward uh, with policies like the Green New Deal? I'm sorry, I lost the sound. How do we recover as a global economy uh, post-COVID-19? And uh, how can um, certain exciting new policies like the Green New Deal be uh, part of that uh, consideration? Well, I, I think the important thing to think about post-COVID-19 um, is that it's going to be an entirely different world. Uh, and we are not ready to think of how different it's going to be. So I'd like you to cast our, your listeners to cast their minds back to the last time we had a really big change in how we thought about society and how we talked about it. And that was the Great Depression and the Second World War. Uh, that really reset our language. It reset our policies. Uh, it was a move more towards cooperation and against uh, uh, individualism and, uh, and, and uh, competition. I think we have the opportunity today to build coalitions, both uh, global and local, uh, which will uh, uh, take advantage of the fact that people realize that a society which is given to self-interest and individualism is going to fail. It's going to fail on ordinary economic terms because it will be unable to, uh, to address the challenges we have today, not simply of COVID-19 or of climate change, but, for example, of making the best use of our knowledge in our society. We need a cooperative view to do that as well because buying and selling knowledge on a profit-making basis is not a good way to handle knowledge. Bottom line, um, this has to be uh, a grassroots effort, but it also has to come from leadership as well. Um, If there are four more years of, let's say, Donald Trump versus four more years of a potential president, Joe Biden, that would affect how the direction goes, especially even with the global order, as uh, maybe people still look for the U.S. to lead the way. Absolutely. You know, the, 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 the role of the President of the United States is that uh, we think of him or her as a policymaker, somebody who decides on what you're going to do. But listen, if you think of the people who had a big impact on America, they've been teachers. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, for example, John F. Kennedy or Ronald Reagan or Franklin Delano Roosevelt. These are people who have given us a language with which to understand our predicaments in our lives and to move forward. So I think four four more years of Donald Trump would be a disaster for the way Americans relate to each other and relate to others in the world. Professor Bowles, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and uh, really appreciate uh, all your insights. Thanks very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it very much.